That being said, I've got a little standalone sermon this morning that I'm a little bit excited about. Uh, I'm going to call it The Spirit and the Bride. So if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis 24. I'm going to read so much scripture this morning that you're just going to be like, wow, that's a lot of scripture. Uh, but Genesis 24, I'm going to start right at the beginning and then we'll dive into it. So Genesis 24, I'm going to read verse 1 through 9 to start off and we're just going to work through this chapter. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there, the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Let's pray really quickly. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We believe that your word brings life. And so, Father, I pray that as we work through this scripture, even if we come across things that maybe challenge our, our mind or our ways of thinking, Lord, I pray that you would just give us revelation of the truth that comes from your word and you would change us by it and that, Holy Spirit, we would be open to what you want to do in each of our hearts and each of our lives and that you would transform us into the image of Jesus as we hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you know, throughout Scripture, there's something that's really interesting that I love whenever you read the Old Testament because there's something that they talk about, and Paul talks about several different times in the New Testament. He talks about something that are called types and shadows. And basically what he's saying is that if you read the Old Testament, he said these things were actually written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And he even talks about how that when they smote the rock in the Old Covenant and the water flowed out, he said that that rock was Christ. That rock in the Old Covenant that was smitten was a representation of Christ dying on the cross for us. So when I read the Old Covenant, when I read the Old Testament and the stories in it, I'm not just simply reading stories at face value, even though there is some historical content there and things that happen on a surface value. He's saying that in many of these stories, you can read into it our own story, the story of Christ and His work on the cross and His work of salvation and what it does to us. And so that being said, if you go back into Genesis, you remember the story. Let me frame this up for you in Genesis 24 a little bit. In Genesis 22, everybody pretty much knows the story for the most part. Abraham is called out by God. He's the father of faith. He is the father of the Jewish people. And through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed because Christ would come through him. And whenever Abraham finally has this son through whom his line is going to come, he has his son Isaac, God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice where I tell you to go. And you see that picture of Isaac, the type of Christ, 
taking wood on his back, climbing the mountain the same way that Jesus would one day take the cross on his back and climb the the hill of Calvary on our behalf. And when he gets to the top, Abraham raises his hand to, to sacrifice his son and God stops him and shows him a ram in the thicket and there God is called Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And what he's saying is, guess what? I'm not going to make you sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love because I'm going to sacrifice my son my only son whom I love for your salvation and for your redemption. The death that we deserved, I'm sending my son whom I love in your place to die on your behalf. And it's so interesting because right there in that first chapter you have the first mention of love and you have also the first mention of worship. And what the Bible is trying to teach us is that we worship most powerfully. Not when we come in here and we're worshiping God to get something or we're worshiping God because we think we're going to enter into His presence. All those things are good. But He's saying we worship most powerfully when we have a clear revelation of God's love for us that He had in sending His Son to die for us. Then the second mention of love is right over here in Genesis 24. And that mention of love is in reference to Isaac's love for his wife, Rebecca, which is a picture of Christ and the church. Because that's how God wants us to see love primarily in the love that he has for us in sending his own son to die for us on the cross. But secondarily, he wants us to see his love for us in the fact that he gave his life specifically for his church. Do you know this morning, church, that you are the bride of Christ? We are corporately the bride of Christ. We're the one that he loves enough to die for and to cleanse and wash with the water of his word. And that is whom he loves. That's who he died for was his church, his chosen people. And so what we see that's so interesting is you see in Genesis 22, the picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And then in Genesis 24, what we see is a picture of the father Abraham sending his servant out now to find a bride for his son. So you see the picture in the New Testament as Jesus dying on the cross. What happened? Jesus died on the cross. He he was raised again from the dead on the third day. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, ten days they're praying in an upper room and what does God the Father do? He sends the Spirit back to go claim a bride for his son. And so in Genesis 24 when it opens up that's what you see. Abraham is talking with an unnamed servant and he says look put your hand up under my thigh. Basically he's saying swear by my children. Swear by my lineage that you're going to do what I tell you to do. I'm sending you back into the land from which I came and I'm asking you to go and get a bride for my son. The Holy Spirit comes to get a bride for his son. The Holy Spirit is in search of a bride for his son. A bride that is spotless. A bride that is chaste. A bride that is in love with her husband Christ Jesus and this is the work of the spirit in our world today and so it says in verse 2 Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had now I love this because it says look it doesn't give him a name what we find out later is that Abraham's oldest servant that he had was actually named Eleazar Eleazar is, is is literally a word that means God's help or helper of God and he is a picture of the Holy Spirit He's unnamed here because the Holy Spirit is unnamed. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, Jesus says that he is one called alongside. Literally in in, in the book of John, he calls him the helper or the comforter or the paraclete. The one called alongside to bring us help whenever we are dealing with issues in our life and ultimately to lead us closer to Christ. And so it says that he ruled over all that he had. Now notice this in John 16. 
John 16, Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And you notice the whole time Eleazar is listening to Abraham, what Abraham is telling him to do. And then he is going to go out into a country to speak to a woman to find a bride. And he is going to speak what his master speaks. And he says, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit has all things that, the, that are the Father's and are the Son's because the Holy Spirit, get this folks, is God. One time somebody said, man, you guys talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. That's kind of weird. It's almost like you think He's God or something. And I said, well, guess what? We actually do. We think, we think He's God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He has all things that the Father and the Son has. But when He shows up, He doesn't speak much about Himself. When the Holy Spirit shows up, He glorifies Jesus and He reveals to you all that Jesus is and all that He has done. When the Holy Spirit is evident in the room, it's not chaos. It is a clear vision of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is in the room, people break down and weep because they have a clear revelation of what Jesus has done for them. When the Holy Spirit is manifested in your life, you love Jesus more than anything you've ever loved in your entire life. When the Holy Spirit is evident, Jesus becomes clear. His teachings become clear and He reveals to us exactly who He is and what He's done. And He reveals those things, not that the Spirit of this world gives us, but He gives us a Spirit that reveals to us what Jesus has died for us to have. So He goes on in verse 5. It says, And the servant said to him, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get this woman, I'm going to get this bride for your son. But suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back from the land? And Abraham says, no, don't go back there. He says, the Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And notice this, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Willing to follow. Willing to yield to the leading as the Spirit draws. Now, John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at that last day. And so what we know is that nobody ultimately comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God is drawing that person to come to the Father. Now, I could get into a lot of the doctrinal debate this morning, but I ain't interested in all that this morning. I'm just trying to preach the text. But here's what I want you to understand is that when the Spirit of God comes into your life and begins to draw you, and even if you're a Christian this morning and you're saved by the grace of God and you're here, the Spirit of God wants to do a full work in your life, but He is a relational God. He's not going to force anything upon you this morning. He will invite you and He will draw you, but you're going to need to respond to Him relationally because we must be responsive to the grace of God. We must be responsive to the grace of God at work in our life because God works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure and therefore we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The Holy Spirit is the one that we are cooperating with and we need to be willing to follow Him wherever He's going to go because I'm going to tell you something, folks. The Holy Spirit will lead you into some queer places sometimes. And if you're not from Clay County, you have no idea what I just said. 
But he will lead you into some quiet places sometimes. And you're wondering, why in the world did I end up here? Do you know that when Jesus was first filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness among the wild beasts. I'm thinking, Holy Spirit, as soon as you get a hold of me, you're going to drive me into the wilderness to be among wild beasts? Why would you do such a work in my life? And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of times when we start to sense that driving of the Holy Spirit, you know what we do? We do resist Him. I'm just going to tell you straight up that we do. I have resisted the Holy Spirit's work in my life before I believe that it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Stephen was preaching a message to a bunch of Jewish people in Acts 7.51. And he says this in Acts 7.51 after he gets done preaching a great message, a great sermon about the history of Israel. Then he calls them out. And I'd love, I, one, one Sunday I'm going to come in and say this to you all and not even quote the scripture. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears... You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so to you. What he's doing is he's giving a history lesson of God at work among Israel. And he says, look, every time we can go back and look at history, the same way your fathers do, you do it right now. Jesus has died in your place and you see it abundantly clear, but yet you're resisting the work of God and the Holy Spirit in your life right now. And he's saying throughout history, if we look at it, every time God tried to move and call you guys to repentance and bring you back, you know what you did? You just killed the messenger. You killed the prophets. You slayed them because you didn't want to hear what the Holy Spirit had to say. He said, now Jesus has showed up and he's done his work and you're resisting the Holy Spirit. But my question is, how how interesting is it that we can close the door on the Holy Spirit in our lives day after day after day after day and, and we can do it? And go to church on Sunday and still believe that we're serving God with our whole hearts. It's very possible. And in their specific context, they did it because of their religion. Like, like, so here's the thing. Some of y'all, you can get caught up because we got a church that comes from multiple different denominations. And when God wants to do something in your life, well, that doesn't fit into my denominational box. That doesn't fit into my doctrinal context. That you know, I, I, went, I went to a seminary, you know, they, they, t- they teach certain things at this seminary. And maybe there's certain things that God may want to do that, 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 that what they're teaching me may shut out of what God actually wants to do in my life. I want to be open to the fullness of what God wants to do in my life and not resist the Holy Spirit when he's saying, Son, I know y'all always been doing this, but you need to do something differently. Whatever we do on the external has got nothing to do with what God wants to do in this moment. Everything we do externally, the songs we sing, the way we we preach, the mode of our services, everything is subject to change because the Holy Spirit may want to change it. And when He wants to change something, we're not the ones that need to stand in way and resist what He's going to do. You know, the Scripture says submit to God and resist the devil, but oftentimes we resist God and submit to the devil. He's saying don't resist the Holy Spirit. But secondly, see, there's another thing that the Scripture says. It says in Ephesians 4.30, see, he's saying, what if they're not willing to follow? That's, what, that's the first question that the Holy Spirit in this context, that's the first question that Abraham's servant asked. What if she's not willing to follow? Because he understands that there's going to be many that just aren't willing to follow. And he says, here's something else that you can do in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you read it in the context, get this, you can actually make the Holy Spirit upset. You ever been grieved? Like, I grieve my wife whenever I'm a mean jerk. You know what I'm talking about? She gets grieved, and sometimes she gets angry, amen. Sometimes the wrath comes out. But when you, when you, when you have a certain attitude, the Holy Spirit 
When you have a certain attitude, he talks about in context bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking from your mouth. And he says, put that all away from you and be kind to one another, forgiving one another. Because when you're bitter and unforgiving, you are currently grieving the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're bitter and you're unforgiving, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And if you don't sense him grieving, that would worry me. That would worry me because you've somehow slipped away from him and you've been resisting his work in your life. And it's not that he's, it's not that he's left you. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But you have got to stoke the fires of that relationship with God who lives on the inside of you. He's not left you. You've not lost your salvation. But you need to draw near to the Lord and let Him draw near to you and, and begin to stoke the fires of this relationship of the Spirit in your life. And then lastly, so He says, do not resist Him. Do not grieve Him. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit or do not extinguish the work of your life or put out His fire. I just get this image of a dude walking in half crazy with a fire extinguisher putting out a shh. And I think sometimes some people come into the church on Sunday morning and a fire will get going where the Holy Spirit's trying to do something. And you know what? Somebody just comes up, shh, we're putting that thing out. We can't have no fire in here. My Lord, don't let God move. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I was taught that in Sunday school. You know, I mean, when somebody get up and testify about God healing them. And there are people who doubt and question whether or not God's at work. Let me tell you something. At the end of the day, we'll let God sort that all out in the end. But let me tell you something. Do you think that the devil healed him? Ask yourself a few questions about what is good fruit and what is bad fruit? What comes from God and what doesn't come from God? Why would you want to quench the good work of a holy and a pure God who loves people and wants to save them and wants to heal them and wants to set them free? And so he says, let me make this point. We grieve him through sinful activity and we quench him when we fail to cooperate with divine activity. We grieve him with our sinful activity. Our bad attitudes grieve the Holy Spirit. But we quench him when God says, I would like to move in your midst, and we say no. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, he comes where he's wanted. He comes where he's desired. And if you get in a mode as a group of people, as a body of believers, as a corporate body where you just say, we're going to do things this way. We don't care if the Holy Spirit shows up or not. We don't care if he moves or not. You're not going to see people saved. We're not going to see people baptized. You're not going to see people healed and set free. You're not going to see the drug addicts come in and begin to find a life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ. you got to be a group and a body of people that say, you know what, God, if you move, we're going to move with you. If you, if you want to use us, if you move me, just like, here's the point. He could have easily, when his heart is pounding, the manifestation of the Spirit is upon his life, saying to him in his heart, he didn't, hear a, he didn't hear a voice in his head. He felt an impression in his heart. You need to go forward because I want to do something in your life. He could have easily said no and quenched the Holy Spirit's fire. But he chose instead to respond and come forward. And guess what? God released a miracle in his life because of that. And I know for some people that's hard to understand. But when you are open to the Holy Spirit and you're praying about what God wants to do in your life, there are times when he will impress upon you, you need to do this, you need to do that. And sometimes, guess what? You might mess it up. That's okay. Because God gives us grace and he gives us authority and leadership to help us work some things out. But when God moves you, you need to move with him. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Grieving the Holy Spirit is focused on our character, but quenching the Holy Spirit is focused on power. Now, a lot of times in churches, churches will emphasize one or the other. 
You get like a more conservative background, Presbyterian Baptist Church, they emphasize the character. You get like a hyper-charismatic Pentecostal church, they'll emphasize the power. You know what? I've been to both, right? But the actual truth is that biblically we need both. I tell people all the time, we need the gifts of the Spirit and we need the fruit of the Spirit. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need God moving in power and we need our character shaped and molded by the power of the Holy Spirit both. We don't emphasize one over the other. You say, well, yeah, but love is better. I agree with you. If I, if I got to pick between love and healing, I'm going to pick love. All right? Amen. If I got to pick. We need love. But I tell this to people all the time, and some of y'all are new, so I'm going to give you the same question. And all these people have been trained now. If there's a $100 bill and a $5 bill on the ground, which one do you pick up? Oh. Amen. <laughs> you pick both up. Just because one seems like it's less significant and less important doesn't mean you leave it laying there. You pick it up too because God has called you to walk in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God to bring freedom into people's lives. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit is not about you. It's not about you drawing attention. It's about the fact that there are people in bondage to Satan in this world and you are a little Christ anointed by God and called to minister to them the gospel. And there are times when you speak and you pray for them that God will move in their lives and bring freedom. And so you cannot deny that in your life, but there's this relationship that we're in. Now notice, this relationship brings us to this place. And so the servant says, all right, they may not be willing to go. If, you don't, if they're not willing, you're released from this oath, but you need to go anyway, and the Lord will go before you. And so in verse 10, it says, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia. So notice, he's got 10 camels and all of his master's goods loaded up on those camels. So you see the first dude, he's riding camel number one, right? And behind him, he's got how many camels? Nine camels that come behind him loaded with his master's good. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what does he bring with him? He brings nine gifts and he brings nine fruits of the Holy Spirit walking and coming into your life. See, this is representative that as he's going seeking a bride, the Holy Spirit is going first. And see, the Holy Spirit comes and does a work of regeneration when you were born again by the Spirit of God. And when you are born again by the Spirit of God, the Scripture says that we are to seek to always be being filled with the Holy Spirit and that, there are, that He wants to cultivate fruit in your life. He wants to make you a more loving, a more joyful, a more peaceful, and a self-controlled person as you walk this relationship out with Him. Those are His goods that are coming as you develop relationship with him. He wants to give you gifts of the spirit and empowerments to enable you to work among the body of Christ to minister to people that are broken and need salvation. And so all of those gifts and all of those fruits are coming behind him. And those gifts are sovereignly and spontaneously given to impart to a desiring believer that is yielded to his will the gifts that he chooses. So he says in verse 11, He made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, 
please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give to your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he's going and he posts up by a well. And I love this because it, it reminds you of the picture of Jesus going to Samaria to the woman who comes to the well to draw water. Do you remember that story? Jesus comes out and he says to the woman that's going to draw water, he says, hey, give me a drink. And then she basically, they get into a conversation and he ends up saying, hey, if you'd have known the gift of God and who it is that is speaking to you, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water so that you would never thirst again. And you see this same picture coming up of the Holy Spirit giving this living water because in John 7, 37, Jesus said the same thing. You remember, Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And the Bible says this he spoke concerning the Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He's saying when you come and you want more of the Holy Spirit, you need to go drink from the well of Jesus Christ himself. When you want more of the Holy Spirit active in your life, you go to the Word, you go to Scripture, and you begin to draw from the well of Jesus Christ. This whole thing is about falling in love with Jesus, y'all. It's not about trying to be a better person. It's not about following a list of rules. It is about realizing this Jesus Christ who has won you through salvation by dying for you on the cross and choosing you and drawing you into life with Him. And then when you enter into this relationship with Him, it's about worshiping Him. It's about falling in love with Him. It's about becoming one with Him. He says when you draw from that well of, of Jesus Christ and you drink from His well, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Some people say, well, I just don't know what to do in ministry. You need to go to Jesus and drink. So, well, what can I do? How can I get plugged in? How can I this? You need to go to Jesus and drink. Somebody who drinks deep from the well of Jesus Christ, you never have to tell them what to do. It flows out of them like a mighty river. I drunk so deeply from Jesus. You know how I came, got called into preaching? Last thing I would have ever dreamed is that I'd be a pastor or a preacher. But I spent some time with Jesus because I wanted to be free. And when I finally found him, I drank so deep that I could no longer hold it back. I had to speak. It started to flow out of me. And see, this is why he says the first thing, Genesis 24, 14. Now let it be that the young woman, notice what he says, to whom I say... Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says something in return. Now I want you to understand that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, one of the first things that He is going to get a hold of is your tongue. Amen. And what I mean by that, Jesus said, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me. You will be witnesses unto me. I remember when I first really was converted and the Holy Spirit filled my life. I had spent the past year uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol, addicted to all these different things. And when finally the chains broke and the Holy Spirit flooded my life, I could not get around my buddies or somebody in my family without talking about Jesus. I would get around them and my heart would begin to pound and the Holy Spirit would come upon me and I could no longer hold it back. I had to speak about Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is active, in your life he starts saying things to you and then you respond by saying things back to him and to others about this Jesus that has saved your life man this is I don't know about y'all I mean this is this is good right I mean now and here's the other thing and I'm not going to spend much time here because it's always very controversial and I know that many people come from different backgrounds and some of you don't even believe in the gifts of the spirit but I do and I've experienced them so there are 
gifts of the Spirit, nine of them that are broken down into three separate sections. And the first type of gifts are vocal gifts. And vocal gifts, see, he says, he says, to whom I say and she says in return. It is, it, is, it is us responding to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our speech. And he says there's three types of gifts. There's prophecy, there's tongues, and there's interpretation of tongues. Now, New Testament prophecy is not the equivalent to Scripture. New Testament prophecy does not have the same authority as Scripture. When somebody comes in here and just says something weird, we're going to weigh it because that's what the Bible says to do. And we're going to decide whether or not that was from the Lord or not because that's what the Bible teaches. But there are moments and there have been moments in my own life when I'm going through something and somebody comes to me and says, I really have had you on my mind and the Lord wanted me to give you this verse and I feel like he's going to do this in your life. And when they spoke that to me in that moment, it was confirmation about everything that I've been dealing with and going through. And it was God letting me know in that moment that I'm here with you, son. And he built me up and he encouraged me and he gave me comfort in that moment. What I'm telling you is if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and His impressions, He will give you a prophetic gifting in order that you might speak to somebody who is weary when they're broken down and they need a word from heaven and it speaks right to their situation. And you say, well, what if we get it wrong? That's why the Bible says judge it and weigh it and see if it's actually from God. But you say, well, if, what, about, what, about, what, what if we mess up? We probably just shouldn't do it. Look, sometimes when you step out in faith, things get messy. But that's why we serve a gracious God. And that's why he puts people in authority to say, hey, you know what? There have been people give weird prophetic words before. Kind of like these dudes that, that predict the re-election re of Donald Trump and all this stuff. And they clearly missed it. So I said, no, they didn't. Election rigged. I mean, and maybe it was. I'm not here to judge that. My point is, my point is, is that we, I understand that it gets goofy out there. I've heard more goofy prophecies than anybody in this room, I guarantee you. But it's still not enough for me to say I'm going to throw out what God has told us to desire earnestly. I'm not throwing out what God's told me to desire earnestly just because some other people abuse it. I want to learn to do it well and I want to learn to do it in a way that Paul said absolutely edifies the body of Christ. And so what I'm saying is that God may give you a word and I've seen it, I've seen it happen to people in this church and they, don't even, they wouldn't even call it prophecy. They'll just be sitting around in a small group impressed and say, man, I just, my heart's beating. I just really feel like saying this to you. I want to pray for you. They're functioning in the New Testament prophet, prophetic gift. Now, sometimes that may have a, 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 a little hint of, of some predictive element to it. And again, you got to weigh that. But the point is the Holy Spirit wants you to speak some things sometimes. And if nothing else, I'll tell you the, maybe one of the best elements is that I will get with God when studying for a message. And sometimes, maybe not every week, but oftentimes the Holy Spirit will start to burn. I mean, I will sit down and the word will start to burn so strongly. I'm talking about scripture. It'll start to burn so strongly that I will say, I cannot get away from this. That's a, that's a prophetic gifting. And, you, and he empowers you to speak that. He empowers you to speak his word in truth. He empowers you to speak a word in a moment of, or a season that's going to encourage somebody. And then you, ha you have tongues and interpretation of tongues. And just to go through that real briefly, like because some of you will question tongues. If you read in 1 Corinthians 14, here's a few things that Paul says about the gift of tongues really quickly. He said, don't forbid anybody to speak with tongues. He said, hey, don't just say, don't do it. He said, I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than all of you. He said, I speak in tongues more than all y'all in this church put together. He said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, he understood that not everybody would spoke with tongues, but he's saying it's actually a gift that edifies you and blesses you personally, and he wouldn't care if all y'all did it. And then he says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, 
My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. He's saying, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit is praying, but in my mind, I don't know what I'm saying. But I'm praying in my spirit. And here's where it gets messed up with people, because people in the Christian church want to understand everything that happens flawlessly. And they're so critical of everything that goes on. And I believe that personally the gift of tongues in that sense is a language given, you by, given to you by God to dethrone your intellect so that you can tap into the spirit of what God is saying. Because sometimes what God wants to do does not make sense. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind to come forward and get oil put on your head. Go to the doctor and tell them, well, what have you been doing for your sickness? Well, I went and had them put oil on my head. Well, what kind of oil? Is it some kind of medicinal oil? I mean, you cannot logically understand some of the things that God asks us to do because it's about faith and it's about the supernatural unseen power of the Spirit. But he's saying when you pray in that prayer language, you activate and you are, you're basically sensing the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Amen. Amen. He said, he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but unto God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. He's saying when a person speaks in tongues, nobody understands him. He's speaking mysteries in God to the spirit. It's prayer between God and the man. He said, what is it then? He said, I'll pray with the spirit and I'll also pray with the understanding. He said, I'll pray in tongues. I'll pray in English. He said, I'll sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. And so as far as I can tell it, let me get through this quick. If y'all want to debate me later. Call me up. We'll, get, we'll have it out. I get it. And look, if you come from a background where you totally disagree with this, it's fine. Like it's, it's, this, is, this is a secondary issue, and I don't like fighting over it. But I think that if it's in Scripture, on occasion, we need to cover it. So what I can find is about three different types of tongues that are in the New Testament, three modes. One, Paul talks about this prayer language. He says, if I pray in the Spirit, if I pray in an unknown tongue, he says, I edify myself. But he basically says that in the church, he said, I'd rather you speak five words that people can understand than 10,000 10, words in an unknown tongue. He's saying tongues really is not to just be blathered about in the congregation because nobody's going to understand what you are saying when you're doing it. It is for your personal private prayer life with God where you edify yourself before God and you speak mysteries unto God. And when you pray in the Spirit, often God will give you a revelation about something that you need to know going on that only can be discerned in the Spirit. And so secondly, there's a known language. This happened on the, on the, in the book of Acts. Now, and sometimes in, in biblical uh, interpretation, you need to understand the difference between a narrative and doctrinal instruction. In 1 Corinthians 14, he's giving doctrinal instru instruction. In Acts 2, there is a narrative about them literally reversing Babel in the Old Testament, and they speak in known languages. I myself know of two instances when I believe this did happen where somebody who didn't know a language supernaturally sp spoke in that language and it was a sign to unbelievers that drew them in so that they could believe that God was at work in their midst. That happened on the day of Pentecost. Thirdly, there's tongues to be interpreted. And he says, basically, if you get among a group of believers who knows what's going on, he says, because if you all speak in tongues, people are going to come in that are unlearned. They're going to say, y'all are out of your mind. It says that in the Bible. He said he knew that if everybody went crazy with tongues, you were going to stop reaching people because some people were going to come in and be freaked out. He said, so you need to keep it a little bit restrained to some degree and let it be done decently and in order. And if, in, if you're in a group where they understand what's going on and they're informed, he says that let two or three speak in a tongue and let somebody else interpret what is being said. Amen. 
So those are the vocal gifts. And he, and he says, you, you see that happening right out of the gate. Now, if you move on just a little bit further, in verse 16, notice what it says. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher and the trough, ran back to the well to the water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Now I love this because she says she's going to draw for him, but then she's going to draw for all of his ten camels as well. Okay, And here's the point. When you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, When you're a believer, He lives on the inside of you. He's never going to leave you. He's there. But when you want more of Him in your life, you need to draw. You need to draw from that water. Spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, worship, reading of the Word, engaging and not quenching the Spirit when He's moving in your midst. If you're you're out there in the seats and somebody says, Hey, anybody want to come to the altar to pray? And And you feel an impression, go to the altar and pray. Listen, respond to the Holy Spirit because He may be wanting to touch you there. When you are at the grocery store and and the Holy Spirit nudges you, go over and pray for that person. Go over and talk for that person. I know it seems crazy and I know it will scare you to death, but do not quench the Holy Spirit if you want Him to be active in your life. Now, if you're in here this morning and you don't even believe in any of this stuff, guess what? Holy Spirit is probably not going to show up and impress you to do much of anything. He says, desire earnestly the best gifts. And when you desire earnestly, you don't just draw for the Holy Spirit. You draw for the nine camels as well. Amen. I don't just want Holy Spirit doctrinally. I want Holy Spirit personally and powerfully activated in my life, working in my life, moving in my life. So she drew for all the camels. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking, verse 22 that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold. A golden... How many of y'all got nose rings this morning? Don't raise your hand. I'm kidding. She said, take a golden nose ring. Now, it's interesting because in the Hebrew language, a nose ring... And, and even smell, the word here, the root word for it, is a very specific word. It's, it's rayok, and it means to smell or perceive or, or odor. And if you read in Isaiah 11, notice what it says here. I know I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but I'm trying to make sense of this. It says, Of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And notice this, it says, His delight. That is the same word, that root word, rayok, is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor by the hearing of his ears. And what he's saying is, literally it could read, they will make him of a quick smell in the fear of the Lord. You ever heard anybody say, I smell a rat? What are they saying, right? They're saying, I discern that somebody is ratting on me. I know a lot of y'all been to jail and stuff like that, so you know. But they discern, they smell a rat. The sense of smell has to do with discernment. And the second type of gifts, the nose ring, has to do with revelation or discernment gifts. Because if you read in the scripture, there's the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. And here's what one guy that I read said, a guy named Robert Clinton. He said this, he says, The use of the Greek word logos 
prefacing both wisdom and knowledge, suggests that these gifts are situational communications given by the Holy Spirit at that moment. Thus, we're not just talking about people who are knowledgeable about the Bible or God, but are talking about a word which comes from God as wisdom or knowledge for a certain specific situation. I, told, I went and gave my testimony at a church the other night, and, and, and this guy, I was, I was telling them a story about how back when I was about 20 years old, and I was still addicted to drugs and alcohol, I got high one day, and I went to a church service. I don't recommend that, y'all. And I sat in the back, and this guy was up there preaching. And while he's preaching, he was an older man. He's, he's actually passed away now and went to be with the Lord. He was an older man, and he was just walking, and he was preaching. And he stopped, and he looked just like this. And he, said, and he pointed, and he said, there's somebody in here. He said, you've got books laid out all around your room, and you're searching for truth. And you've got all these books you've been reading. And I'm telling you right now that if you'll, if you'll get a hold of God, He's going to reveal Himself to you shortly. And he went right back into his preaching. And, and when he said that, my heart started pounding. I said, that's me. I had books laid out all around my room searching for truth. And I'm sitting back there about half-addled still coming down. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saved at this point, y'all. And I went, I'm reading the Bible, but I'm also reading other crazy stuff. And, I, and, I, and I'm sitting back there, and I just wait. I'm like, I'm going to let everybody get out of this building. Nobody knows me. I'm just going to sit back here in the back. This guy's leaving, and as he's walking, he's walking out, and he stops and looks over at me. And when he looks at me, he says, did you hear me up there talking about you, son? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then he said, stand up here a minute. And he shook my hand and he just, he just blessed me and asked me some questions. And then he looked me in the eye and he said, son, you may not believe it, but the Lord's going to do amazing things in your life. I wasn't even saved. I hadn't surrendered my life to the Lord yet, but I went home that night, man. And God started doing some amazing things in my life. He got a word of knowledge that opened up my heart situationally to the fact that I'm on the right track right here. I'm searching for truth, but the truth ain't to be found in atheism. The truth is not to be found in New Age religion. The truth is to be found in Scripture, in the Bible, in the book that I've been reading. I put all those other books away. I started reading the Bible, and God began to reveal Himself to me. But my point being is there are situational circumstances where God gives you knowledge. It's not just about having knowledge or having wisdom. It's in a moment of time, the Spirit of God revealing something to you. And I've seen it happen so many times. There was a guy came in here one day from Chad's Hope. And, and in my mind, this, this, this word, the name Terrence just kept coming to my mind. I thought, this is weird. I don't know what to do with it. Terrence, Terrence. And, and I was like, maybe his name's Terrence. And, I, and I, I quenched the spirit. I was like, I ain't saying that to that dude. I don't even know what that means. Well, the guy that was speaking that evening has him come up and prays for him. And when he does that, I said, man, this may sound crazy. I just want to ask you, what's the name Terrence mean to you? He put his head down. He said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, but that guy's the reason I'm here. He ratted me out. A lot of rats going on right now. He ratted me out, and the judge sent me here to rehab, and that's why I'm here. And man, that opened a door where me and him had a relationship, and I started to walk him through forgiveness, releasing Terrence, and understanding not. It led into a word of prophecy where I sensed by the Spirit, I'm going to say, look, man, what, what you think the enemy meant for evil, God actually meant for good, to bring you into this circumstance and into this situation. And the Lord gave me that word just so he could let you know that you are here for a purpose and God wants to do something in your life. And it opened a relationship like that. And what I'm saying is y'all can sit and think it's goofy all you want to, but that right there had a
impact on that man's life. And I've seen it happen too many times. And we need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit giving us revelation in a moment of time to apply to a situation that's going to open the hearts and the minds of people. Amen. He says he gives him a nose ring. Gives them discerning of spirits where you have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's prompting. And then it says that he gave her a bracelet, two bracelets to put on her, on her arms. And those are power gifts. Those are healings, gifts of healings, miracles, and faith. And gifts of healings, just like we... Gifts of healings, somebody could just simply have an impression. If you're in here today and you... you, you like i got to be honest with you, a lot of times when people are sick... I feel compelled to pray for them. And, and I've told you many times, I prayed for all kinds of people, don't get healed. Happens all the time. But I'm never going to stop praying for them. Because you know why? I think, I'm, I think Scripture tells me to do it. Scripture tells me to believe. God is sovereign. He's the one that heals. He, he decides when the gift of healing is active and not. I don't decide that. It's my job to pray. But I know that when you are a person praying for the gifts of the Spirit and you're compelled to pray for healing and there's a certain authority when you pray that you don't just simply pray, Lord, if it be your will, but you have an authority in your prayer. And it's a prayer of faith where you're believing God to heal. Sometimes He chooses intermediaries to work His power through so that His healing might be ministered to people. Physically, mentally and emotionally, and even spiritually. Gifts of healings. And then miracles. Miracles is, is the exercise of God's authority over nature, death, and the demonic. I have seen commands made against the demonic and demonic oppression leave people. God moves in these ways still. And I'm telling you, when we have a church that no longer believes any of, this thing, any of these things happen, we're just running on paper, y'all. The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. I believe in sound doctrine. We must have sound doctrine. But if we do not have the power of the Holy Spirit in our age, we're going to be relegated to trying to win arguments with a reprobate world. And it's not just simply about teaching sound doctrine, which is essential. Sound doctrine is essential, but sound doctrine entails within it the power of the Holy Spirit at work among God's people and in and through God's people to bring transformation. It's been that way since the inception of the church. Sorry that I'm passionate about this. Faith is the ability to discern with extraordinary confidence what God's will is and the work He wants to perform and act upon it accordingly. When I think about the gift of faith, I think about Peter and Paul, or Peter and John, walking up at the gate of the temple, and they walked up there every day at the hour of prayer. They saw that man that had been lame every single day. They didn't heal him every day, right? But one day... The Spirit of God comes upon Peter and the gift of faith is activated and he doesn't even walk up and say, you know what, let me, let me just pray if it's the Lord's will, maybe he'll heal you. No, the guy says, you know what, I, I need some money. He says, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that faith is activated in his heart and he makes a declaration and the man stands up on his feet and walks. In a moment of time, he had extraordinary confidence to believe that God was going to do something in a moment so powerfully that he just spoke it. He didn't even ask God for it. He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I was reading uh, about George Mueller, and he's a guy that lived in Bristol, England, and he received $5 million over the course of 60 years to care for 10,000 orphans, and he started with two shillings in his pocket. And he never made it known once that he was ever in need while he was caring for these orphans, and God always provided for him through faith and through prayer. And I'm going to read a long story but 
Um, I'm just going to tell the story. Basically, the man, he's, 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 he's going on a ship, and he's crossing from England to Canada. And as he's going, there's this huge fog that covers the sea. And he's looking out at it, and the, 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 the captain says, we can't go any further. We're not going to be able to go to get to where we need. It's going to be actually quite a while. And George Mueller says, no, you don't understand. I have to be there by tomorrow afternoon. And he says, man, there's nothing I can do. We can't not see. We're not going to be able to do it. And he says, well, I, will you give me a room? I need to go pray. And the guy said, look, man, prayer ain't going to change the fog. You know what? Y'all ever believe that? Like prayer ain't going to change it. There's some things that's just like, you know what? Well, I mean, we ain't got nothing else to do. Maybe, we, maybe we'll just, our last resort's prayer. I'm thinking, has it come to that? Like now all we can do is, all we can do is pray. No, prayer's your first priority, folks. It's the most powerful weapon in your tool bag. He says, I'm going to go down here to a room to pray. The captain makes fun of him, but the captain goes with him. And this, in the book, that it reads that the captain said he prayed a very simple prayer of faith. And then he stood up and the captain thought, well, you know, maybe I should pray too since he prayed. And, and so he started to pray and George Mueller shut him up. He said, no, captain, he said, I don't need you to pray. He said, first of all, you don't believe what you're praying and it's going to be ineffective. Secondly, I believe, and I've been in this situation many a times, and every time I've prayed to my God, he's come through. You go up back up to the top, he has removed the fog. And when he walked back up to the top, the fog was completely gone, got him to his destination, and he led that captain to the Lord that day. And he wrote, George Mueller wrote in his book, there were many, he said, I can attest to many times that God seemingly gave me what looked to be a gift of faith so that I could seek God and believe him for the miraculous in a moment of time. He just had this extraordinary confidence that if he prayed and believed, God would show up and do it. And I'm looking for somebody that God would just be willing to give a gift of faith to. You know what I'm talking about? That would believe for the extraordinary when we need God to move in our midst. I know right now we live in America in a little content little place, but I'm telling you, things are going to get hard as we move forward in our generation. And we're going to need people filled with the power of God and faith. And so in Genesis 24, 23 through 25, he said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Naor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And my question to you is, is there room in your life for the Godhead to live? Do you got room in your life right now even for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life? Or is it filled with so many things that you just don't even have space right now? She says, no, we've got room for you to lodge and come and make your home here. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He doesn't just want to be something that you sense on Sunday. He wants to be an active, living, dwelling person in your heart and in your life. In, in verse 28 it says, So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. And I love what it says at the end. When she goes and she tells her, her father and her mother and her brothers and sisters and they see the bracelets and the nose ring and all the gifts that she's been given and he says, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Verse 31, why do you stand outside for I have prepared the house and a place for the camel. See, when she goes and tells her family everything that had happened and they see the gifts, you know what they say? They open up their door too and they say, come in. You and your camels have room here. When the Holy Spirit gets at work in your life, I'm telling you this and I'm going to close. Y'all can come to the music. But, but I want you to understand that when the Holy Spirit gets, act, gets moving in your life, He starts to move you. To, if it, nothing else, you're going to tell your family and your friends about Jesus. 
And they're going to see the gifts of God in your life. They're going to see the Spirit of God at work in your life. And they're going to want to open that door up too and say, we need you to come in here and move in here. And I love it because it says that whenever they let him in, it says that they brought out jewelry of silver and he brought out jewelry of gold and clothing and he gave them to Rebecca and he also gave them precious things to her family. When you open the door of the Holy Spirit in your life, he wants to give you silver, which is God's redemption. He wants to give you gold, which is the divine life. And he wants to bring precious things in and among your family. But the question is, are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move in your home? And we've got to raise kids in our generation and raise families in our generation that say we want the full power of God in our home. That means we worship in our home. We pray in our home. We let God reign supreme over our homes and we let Him in that door. Amen? Amen. So He says, look, we got to let you, we got to go. And they said, no, 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 don't go too quick. He said, no, I got to take this woman back to marry her husband. And they said, well, let her stay about 10 days or so. He says, no, don't hinder me. We've got to go right now. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move, you can't hinder him. You can't say, wait, give me some time. I need to work on a few things and get some things together. And that's the age-old excuse for people that don't come to church. Well, I can't come to church. i got to get some things together first. You ain't ever going to get anything together until you start seeking the Lord and let Him do the work in your life. You're not going to get free from addictions. You're not going to get free from sinful behavior and bondage. You're not going to get set free from these things until you get up and you start to move toward your husband, Jesus Christ. And so he says, all right, come on, we're going to go. And she says, I'll go. And I love it because they sent her off. And in verse 60, they say to her, they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. I love that because they're basically prophesying the fact that she's going to become the mother of the church, so to speak. She's going to become the mother of those who possess the gates of those who hate Him. And see, Jesus said, you are the church, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, I'm going to clothe you and endue this church, this body with power, so that you will possess the gates of the enemy. And so ultimately she goes, and He brings her back to her husband, and when she sees him afar off, she puts a veil on her face. And it's a picture of the fact that right now we just see through a mirror dimly. You know, the scripture talks about all those gifts of the Spirit. It talks about how one day they're going to they're gonna be gone. They're going to cease. There's going to be no need for supernatural knowledge or tongues or prophecy or any of those things. But it says right now we see through a glass dimly. And then we will see face to face. And the veil will be taken off. And we will see Jesus. The goal of everything right, right now, folks, everything is about knowing Jesus. And one day we will see Him. And when we see Him, the Scripture says we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And in that moment, there will be no more use for healing. No more need of a miracle. All will be healed. All will be set right. All of us will be free. And that's what we long for. But until that comes, we want to be open to the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. So I want you to bow your heads right where you're at. And I want you to just take a moment to meditate on this. I know that's a lot of Scripture. There's a lot of content to that. But the question is, what is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in your life? What's He wanting you to lay down? What's He wanting you to open up? What's He wanting you to say? And what's He impressing upon you? But Lord, right now we're just asking that you would give us a greater relationship with you. 
than we currently have. And Lord, for those of us that don't have a relationship with you, Jesus, I ask that you would come and you would do your work in every heart, that you would open every heart, you would open every mind. And Lord God, you would fill each person with your Holy Spirit and with your presence, with your goodness and with your glory this morning. You know every need in this house, but God, I'm asking you to come right now, Holy Spirit, and move in hearts and move in minds and bring the healing and the freedom and the blessing that only you can. And I pray, God, that you give people the ability to respond to what you want to do in their lives. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' mighty name. I want you to stand to your feet.